Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, this is Darlene, Kate's podcast editor, and Kate is under the weather this week, lost her voice, so I'm stepping in for her to do the episode introduction. So let's get into it. This week, Kate welcomes Adam Dodge and Adrian Nada, creators of the Tech Savvy Parent Online course. In this episode, they have a conversation about how to empower your children to make good decisions online because kids today understand how to use technology, but that doesn't mean they know how to do it safely. Adam Dodge is an internationally recognized digital safety expert and parent. He is also a returning guest, as you may have heard him in his episode with Kate about how to protect yourself from digital abuse. Adrian Nada is a professor, licensed marriage and family therapist, licensed clinical professional counselor, and a parent as well. So now here is Kate, Adam, and Adrian. Enjoy. Adam and Adrian, thank you so much for coming on. Adam, thanks for coming back on. Um, I'm really excited about this new program that you have created, the Tech Savvy Parent. So tell us a little bit, first of all, why did you create this program? Essentially, Adrian and I both work with uh, teens and, and young adults. And a lot of the challenge that I was seeing on the digital safety side of things, where people were getting harassed or or intimidated online, a lot of that could have been mitigated or prevented if we could have gone in a time machine back to when they were younger and given them some tools to you know, address these online challenges as naturally as they do challenges in the physical world. And then I'll let Adrienne talk about what she was seeing with her in her, in her practice with, with younger folks. Yes, I had both, I think, you know, both a professional inspiration for this, but also a personal one, too. So I'll just, you know, briefly touch on each of those. But either working with parents or working with kids, just seeing a lot of anxiety. I think it's been now we're just seeing a lot of news regarding uh, youth mental health. Um, and, you know, how do we address these issues and, and parents feeling quite overwhelmed and not you know, trying to figure out what was going on. I also was teaching a class on therapy interventions for kids and adolescents. And we were kind of seeing these same trends and wondering, you know, looking at um, device use and social media and online interactions. And then I have an eight-year-old daughter. So um, I myself, you know, not growing up with the internet was realizing there were some serious kind of blind spots in my own parenting. And not wanting to wait until I already had a problem. How could I potentially prepare her better for 
the the inevitable, which is at some point she's going to get online and and interact. And how can I prepare her for what that's going to be like? So Adam and I had having worked together before, we're uh, brainstorming this and and started thinking we gotta we gotta tackle this. So it was yeah. really uh, nice having a seventeen year old son. I'm extremely jealous <laughs> that this was not around. Uh, a long time ago. And also, you know, I have a 17 year old who has gone through the pandemic and all of his friends. I mean, it's a, it is a shit show, colossal shit show of mental health crises in all of his friends and including my son. I mean, it was just been really, really difficult. And my son was even, uh, it was the victim of some pretty intense and severe cyber bullying or accusations, attacks, whatever, during the pandemic, which just like, it just compounded everything. So I'm really grateful that you guys have created this. You guys say that, like, that kids' lives have gone digital, but parenting hasn't. What does that mean? Yeah, well, a lot of folks, that, that deeply resonates with a lot of folks, because especially for parents who didn't grow up digital. It's this digital divide that, that Adrian was alluding to where we have this really unique circumstance where the generation that leads does not have the life experience to pass on to their kids. And so we really have this, they don't know what they don't know situation with parenting. And when kids' lives go digital and they start spending all this time online, they start learning that people treat each other differently online and it's okay to treat others differently online. And the lessons that they learn from their parents about safety and consent and empathy and boundaries and kindness and respect are warped or malformed or just don't exist online. And yet their parents aren't as intimately involved in their online lives. So they're not getting any guidance or preparation for that really disparate experience between their online and offline lives. And so the best example I can give is when a parent of like a 13, 14, 15 year old gets a look at some messaging or DMs or texts and is horrified by the language that their teen or tween is using and saying things like, I've never heard them talk this way. And it's usually because they're, they've grown up in this online world with that what, as, as Adrian said, the internet wasn't, says the internet isn't built for children. And yet that's where they're growing up without parental guidance. And so, you know, when you talk about it that way, it's not really surprising that kids have developed this, you know, double life sort of adolescence that, that a lot are experiencing. And so we want to, we, we use that, that tagline to sort of galvanize parents and let them know, like, look, that the, the road or the distance to, uh, have your life go digital too alongside your kids is not as far away as you think. Mm. Um, but we need to, we, we need to first recognize that this is a problem. Yeah. Adrian, do you have anything you want to add to that? Sure. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I think parents have come a long way in addressing so many, you know, issues that kind of help their kids be both physically and emotionally safe. And, you know, we do a lot as far as, you know, helping kids physically kind of cross the street and um, to be able to, you know, kind of looking out for safe people or unsafe people. And and I think it's, this is just kind of a new experience, like, okay, well, how do we apply all of this to the digital 
experience as well, since parents are getting so savvy already with talking to their kids ahead of time about what it's like out there, or even with, you know, potential bullying behaviors, often we still think of it as kind of this in-person um, kind of taunting on the school grounds, but, you know, more often than not, it's happening, you know, more, you know, under the surface kind of in these online spaces. Yeah. I think Adam, you had said either on the podcast, I think you said it on the podcast before is that like, you know, it used to be that, that these issues were happening just like on the schoolyard, like during the eight hours of school, but now it's 24 seven. You know, the Surgeon General says we have a, a, a mental health, a youth mental health crisis now. And when you start to unpack the, the role of technology, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Bullying is now on a 24 hour a day, 365, you know, 20 day cycle, right? It's, right. it's constant. And mm-hmm. of course, it's going to impact kids, you know, emotionally in a really you know, significant way. Yeah. And not just bullying, right? It's also just these interactions that they're having. Like, it's not just bullying, it's communication. It's, you know, relationships, right? They're having, they're having relationships via entire relationships via text, especially in the pandemic. And this is like a terrible way to communicate, right? Like, I mean, we know that as adults, I know in like my dating experience over the last like 15 years, like, Texting is not the way to communicate, but that's all they're doing. Yeah, yeah, it creates, I mean, it creates so many gaps in our communication because we rely upon, uh, and we talk about this in the course, you know, with empathy and how we read people and we, we rely a, a lot on um, facial expression and nonverbal communication. Uh, we, we can kind of see someone's intention more clearly when we're uh, face-to-face or even at least, you know, talking uh, to one another. But yeah, I think it, it shifts our behavior. It also shifts our perception of how other people are. And the communication is just constant too. So it never stops. And I think all of these factors combined creates um, a lot of um, anxiety for kids. And I think they have a harder time communicating in person because of it. There's a lot more social anxiety um, being, being diagnosed as well. And, and so it, um, kind of creates these perfect storms, kind of unease and miscommunication for sure. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you get a, you know, we, we're so good about, as Adrian was saying, teaching these concepts like consent to kids when they're really young and bodily autonomy, body, bodily autonomy, excuse me. <laughs> um, but it's focused on the physical, right. And then they get online and they're supposed to translate those those lessons or, you know, get a firm yes from somebody, right? Well, how do you get a firm yes via text, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be based on reading these physical cues, you know, when, like, a yes actually means a yes and it's not being coerced or the person is uncomfortable. But then all that all that nuance goes away online and, and yet we're still expecting these kids to grow up applying these these physical world lessons in these online spaces when they're just... You know, they need more guidance than that. So, okay. So, so what are some of the ways that parents can help kids navigate? Like, because it's not, is it, is it enough? Is it like, is it appropriate to be like, well, you can't go online? <laughs> like, is there, first of all, is there, is there an age at which you think that it's okay? Like they're all doing it, right? So they're going to end up there. So when should they get on? When should they be allowed? What are the parameters? Like, how do we do this? Help. <laughs> well, I'll let Adrian's really got a great perspective on, on, 
you know, when kids should get on screens and things like that. But I, I, I'll just say, you know, there's a reason our course is for parents of kids age K, K through fifth grade is mm. because, you know, you start laying these, the foundation for these, these life skills very early so that they come to them naturally when they start spending more time in online spaces, which is often sooner than parents might think, because even if they have a no screen rule in their house, they're hanging out with friends. They're at a, like, you don't want them being blind, blindsided by these foreseeable challenges in online spaces when we could actually prepare them for them even before we're allowing screen time in, in our homes. But I'll, I'll let Adrian talk about, you know, developmentally when it's a good time for, for phones and things like that. Yeah, it's tough. And I know it's like, it, this is going to vary from, you know, ultimately parents have to make their own decisions and their different input that goes into it. I know my husband initially was like, we're just going to keep, we'll just, she just can't be on the internet ever. <laughs> like, that's, we'll just control it. I'm like, that's the, you know, lovely, lovely thought, but that's not going to, that's not going to cut it. And so I think that's, you know, going back to what Adam was saying, that was our idea. If we can, even before kids really are experiencing a lot of screen time or going, you know, interacting online, you know, how might we start to plant some of these seeds and have start these discussions with our kids that are age appropriate? You know, we they're not going to be surprises later and we can start to tackle them as as they come up and as like the um you know, as we become less uh I guess because we're not overseeing their behavior as much as they get older. And so we have to, they need some independence at some point and, and express their judgment. So, I mean, every, everybody's different. I mean, if we look at the developing brain, we know that, you know, screens and online interactions are not good for a developing mind. They need um, the more time you wait, the less exposed they are. I know in our household, we, you know, there's screen time, but we've been more on the conservative end of things and have, um, kind of, you know, are, are waiting as long as possible. Although my daughter's asking for a phone right now, which is <laughs> at eight, at eight. So I know it's, you know, they're they're aware it's out there, and and you know, but we, I instead of just shutting it down, we talk about, oh, what do you like about a phone? You know, I open these these up for dial instead of saying no, it's not time. I I would rather have a discussion about it. And I want her to know like this is this is why we're waiting. You know, this is why, you know, this is what we think is good for you and how you how you get older. And so while I don't have I know the you know the research is showing that you know hold off as long as possible to give a child a smartphone and that there are some other options potentially than doing that if you still want to keep in touch with your children. And when they do have interaction, let's say on an iPad or something for games that parents are just, you know, we talk about how parents should be more in the know as to which games their kids are playing. You know, do they have contact with other people that, you know, that they don't know on those games? You know, how do we, I, I guess we're less concerned about age and time and all of that. And we're more focusing on how, on education and prevention. How do we become more involved in our children's digital lives so that um, we're in the know and, mm. and can keep the conversation going. So how do you, how do you suggest we do that? Right? Like, are we sitting with them and like <laughs> watching them play their games or playing the games with them? Like, how is that? How are we doing that? 
sometimes, I mean, this is going to vary from parent to parent, but I, I know Adam and I were, were speaking about, um, you know, what happens when you get um, your, your child invites you sometimes to play these games. And I think as parents, sometimes our, our inclination is to say no, and we're, we're trying to get something else done at the same time. But that might be a great way to without being too direct and too nosy to jump in and say, Oh, I wonder what this is all about. I wonder what this game, what's really going on. Are there messages coming through? If so, what are those messages? Have we been able, are we aware of what those, you know, what the parameters are as far as security goes? Adam, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Yeah. I mean, I think this gets back to that digital divide. Like if your kid is going to play baseball or is on a swim team, you know, you have a, parents have a frame of reference of what that entails, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there are guardrails in place in the physical world that we know there's coaches, we know there's safety, we know there's other parents. If some stranger wanders into a baseball practice or a swim meet and starts talking up little kids, like people are going to react to that to protect that child. Right. Online, those guardrails don't really exist and parents don't have the frame of reference of those games. And so at least getting on and playing it, if you can do it with your child, awesome. But at least getting on and getting familiar with it a little bit, because, you know, if a parent gets onto a game and then all of a sudden, you know, people are messaging them and saying lewd things or disgusting things or threatening things or sending nude photos or whatever it is. It's like, well, wait a second. You know, I was just going to let my kid play this because all the other kids play it. But now I see like, eesh, like I got to learn more about this or figure out how to make this safer. But this gets into that whole, this whole knowledge gap, right? You know, in the physical world, we have a much better understanding of these things, but in the online world, you know, letting your child play, or go on a, a social media site that you're not familiar with, and they can be contacted by strangers online or be exposed to content they're not yet developmentally ready for. Like parents need to understand what kind of spaces their kids are going into and either not let them go to those spaces because it's not appropriate, make those spaces safer by using the safety protocols, and then always having a discussion with their child about what happens if you encounter an unsafe person online or content that they're not ready for or that upsets them because that's going to happen no matter what you do right Mm -hmm. so you have to prepare them for it because you don't want them to be uh, you know encounter those situations and not know what to do whereas in the physical world you know stranger danger and all the stuff that we do in the physical world is is really ingrained but then online you know there's there's little to no guidance and yet you know, they're much more likely to be encounter an unsafe stranger playing on the tablet on the couch in the living room than they are playing outside in the front yard by themselves, right? right. Yet we're putting more emphasis on the front yard situation right, than we right. are on the tablet. Oh, it's scary. It's scary. So like you said, we're not telling them that they can't do it, right? Because they're going to do it, but we're having to talk. I mean, I remember I was, you know, I would have these conversations with my son, but then he'd be like, I know mom, I know. And then like, he'd go into his room and then I'd be like, does he though? (laughs) No, he doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, there was one day when he and his stepbrother and like a couple of other of their friends were 
you know, sometimes when they're all together, they start talking in ways that they, you know, and I, they start to reveal things that, that they maybe wouldn't have revealed just one-on-one. And so they're all telling me about this guy that showed up in their Instagram DMs and was DMing them on Instagram. And I'm like, you guys have private accounts. Like, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh no, those are our public accounts. We all have we all have other accounts that you guys Fake don't Instagram fences. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We all have other Instagram accounts that you guys don't know about. And I'm like, yeah. well, that's what? <laughs> so they're telling me about this guy, this basically who was clearly a sexual predator who was messaging a group of them together, fortunately. And they all knew, cause these are, you know, savvy kids who are growing up in LA and they're like, I mean, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but they're savvy enough that they just relentlessly bullied the guy out of the conversation, you know, but like, I was still like, you guys, that's dangerous. You don't know. You don't know where this guy is. You don't know who he is. You don't know how much information he has about you. Like this is, this is scary. And, you know, they all thought it was hilarious and, you know. (sighs) Yeah. I mean, the thing is, we're already having those conversations with our kids, right? Like yeah. we're already talking to our kids about encountering people they don't know in the physical world and what mm-hmm. to do if something happens that makes them feel unsafe. We just mm-hmm. need to start expanding those conversations to include when it happens online because their instincts, their safety instincts don't work as well online. Like their fight, flight, or freeze work really well in the physical world, but online their guard is down and they feel safer online. Yes, that's what I was going to say. These kids didn't feel unsafe at all. Yeah, they didn't. And and that's something that we talk about in our course is, you know, kids are confusing being physically safe with being digitally safe. You know, if that person approached some strange adult approach, approached that group of boys or approach kids in the physical world and started saying lewd things, I guarantee you their safety instincts would have kicked in and they Mm -hmm. would not have been taking it so, you know, lightly. Right. But and I can tell you that, you know, online harm is as, ex- is, 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 is as serious as offline harm. But, you know, it feels very safe when you're online and you're at home and your parents are there and you're doing things online. You might engage in what we call digital risk taking because you're confusing being safe in your home as also being safe in the online spaces you're navigating and you might connect with people or click on things or look at things that you would never dream of doing in the physical world. And so we want to help kids understand that, you know, feeling they deserve to feel safe online and yeah. that, that threats online are as serious as threats in the physical world. And the earlier we have those consistent conversations, the more they'll naturally be able to you know, rely on those, well, basically be able to help them build digital instincts that they weren't born with. I mean, I've learned a lot from Adam in this area because he's the, the digital safety expert. But he's it's, the digital I think, guy. He is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we, I, I think sometimes, and, you know, what seems like playing around and seems fun is you don't know when you've already let information slip or, and chances are, you know, not to make this super scary all the time, you know, that they're, are things going on that don't go anywhere and don't end up being, you know, and you know, super dangerous, but you just don't know which ones those are going to be. And so um, sometimes we think like, like Adam is saying that we're in the safety of our own home, that we have the distance from it, but 
we don't know at the same time which information we're actually sharing that could easily kind of leave ourselves vulnerable to someone, you know, being where we are physically. And now a word from our sponsor. So let's talk about the holidays and divorce. It is a super stressful time for families, especially when alcohol is involved. And our friends over at Soberlink want to help. Soberlink has teamed up with divorce and family law experts to provide information that you didn't know that could provide peace of mind during the holidays. So for those who still haven't heard about Soberlink, it is the solution for you if you're going through a divorce and custody case involving alcohol. Whether you are falsely accused of alcohol use or are concerned about your child's safety because of the other parent's alcohol use, Soberlink can help. Soberlink works hard to keep children safe, offering a remote alcohol monitoring system that is the gold standard because of its incredible technology. Don't miss out on Soberlink's free guide for the upcoming holiday season. You can request it right now at www.soberlink.com slash DSG. That's me, the Divorce Survival Guide. So soberlink.com slash DSG. And now back to our show. Tell us a little bit about, about the course itself. Is there, this is for parents, right? Are there, are there things that we should be like showing our children as well? Like, I feel like it's all, you know, it's like our like we're talking to them and they're like, uh-huh, and they're rolling their eyes or whatever. Cause usually by the time they're entering into these spaces, right, they are already starting to get a little maybe that's why you gear this to kids <laughs> K through five, because maybe those kids are not rolling their eyes at their parents every time they open their mouths. <laughs> this is the low-hanging fruit we're going at. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> but but it's true, right? Like a lot of parents if we we came to this work through the lens of prevention because we work with so many teens and older and, and young adults and could see that if we could go back in time to when they were young and equip them with these tools, they wouldn't have been, they would have been in a much better position to handle these challenges. And by starting young, it really helps to create space for kids to come to us when they experience challenges online, because you get this eye roll, like, well, you don't understand, you don't know technology, you didn't grow up with these things. But if parents are talking about this when they're very young, kids will actually identify them as a safe harbor as well, which is really important and not live, feel like there's this, you know, this silo that they're living in when they're online. And mm. so, yeah, that's exactly why we start young because yeah. we don't want them getting to, you know, high school and then just being like, you want to talk to me about, you know, unsafe strangers online. Yeah. I got it, mom. Like, yeah, I've been thanks, on, thanks, but no thanks. I've been online for like 10 years. <laughs> yeah, what? Exactly. <laughs> I know, right? So that's why for, we start young. For three whole years, mom. <laughs> yeah. You know, our approach with the course was to make it really accessible. And by that, I mean, we're not asking parents to become tech experts. Kids don't need their parents to be their IT department, right? They just need... The, the same guidance and support they're already giving their kids to make sense online. So we already talked to our kids about meeting new people or strangers. We already talked to our kids about 
consent or boundaries or safety or kindness. It's just a lot more difficult to practice those things online when you don't see another person in front of you. So we can adjust those conversations we're already having to be also applicable online as well. Um, yeah. And so that that's kind of what the course is about is it's not so much about, I mean, it's, it is about bullying and, and grown up content and new people, but it's also about these really fundamental skills to building healthy relationships in the digital age, like consent and boundaries and empathy and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So how, so first of all, you you know Adam, you guys were saying that this course is really accessible and I want to highlight that it is also financially accessible. So this is not, you know, a $675 course <laughs> program, right? You guys are offering this for what $79? Yeah, we want it to be, I mean, Adrian and I both come from a nonprofit background and we've worked with a lot of communities where you know, we that, that that need services, but may be economically disparate, and we want this to be really accessible to anybody, regardless of what your your economic background is, because it's, you know, we think parents are just the key to unlocking this whole thing, and we mm-hmm. and we don't want people to be denied that based on you know what their paycheck is. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. Um, so, Adrian, how can we teach kids? Um, like empathy and consent, like Adam was talking about, in ways that'll be effective online and during screen time, like (laughs) when we don't have that face-to-face interaction. Yeah, I think, and this kind of goes back even to your earlier question about what, you know, even if we're starting this process early, you know, what does this look like instead of, you know, just lecturing your child all the time on, you know, and and it's just going to go in one ear and out the other. And I try to use like these organic experiences that naturally come up and like consent. Uh, Not too long ago, my daughter was, um, she wanted to record her friend singing, you know, in this performance. And um, I said, okay, you know, I said, but did you ask your friend's permission if you could record her first? And, you know, here they are, they're two eight-year-olds and I'm sure, ultimately, I'm sure it's fine. We know them, but I'm, purposely planting these questions in at certain times, because um, I think it's those are that's an example of how to get consent early, you know, it's, it's, are you recording someone and then later it'll be what do you do with that recording? Once you have it, do you have permission to share it to, you know, kind of, because that's one of the problems later on, you know, teenagers or on other teenagers, uh, TikTok accounts and Instagrams where they're sharing, you know, ultimately a lot of uh, video of their friends. And I, I don't think they're, you know, some maybe, but I don't think they're getting a lot of permission. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the other way that, you know, we talk about, you know, I've said, well, I asked my daughter, I said, well, how do you know, you know, if you hurt someone's feelings, or, you know, if, if someone was hurt, how would you know? And And she would say, well, I would look I would tell by by looking at their face. And so, so what if you couldn't see their face? And I think it really, you know, threw her off and it would throw me off too. And I'm like, oh, like, how would I know, you know, something it's like, you know, how would we feel if we were in that situation? There are a lot of great, you know, kids empathy books out there, but none of them, at least the ones we've seen so far address anything that overlaps with online spaces. And so, Early on, I think these are really great ways to introduce like, okay, well, if you weren't there, you know, 
people still feel hurt, you know, words still hurt. And, you know, being able to have these conversations, I find at this age, they're much more open to the kind of what if and the stories, because Mm -hmm. they're still young enough to be playful with that. And that's why I think this is a good age to start planting these seeds, whereas later, it'll be similar conversations, but in a different way, but it will have already been introduced. So it's not going to be something, something new. Hmm. Yeah, we need a whole series of children's books about the digital age. Like, Mm -hmm. I just realized that that's like, has anyone even written that we need like a Berenstain Bears for with like (laughs) iPhones, right? Like, yeah, Yeah. all the lessons, all the lessons that that are taught in those books, which are brilliant, but like, we don't have the the online equivalent. What Adrian's really adept at is having these conversations with kids that don't even include any mention of screen time or the internet, right? It's more about getting consent when somebody isn't in front of you or understanding how somebody might be hurt by something you did when they're not in the room, right? Which is what they're going to experience online, but it's Mm -hmm. a great training wheels uh, approach for for what they're soon to experience online where they see you know, people really treating themselves, you know, and, and re- can, can, and really let's, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this in a very delicate way, but very unkind ways, right? Uh, yeah. and, and, and if we can get a whole generation of kids thinking about, or being able to apply empathy or, or practice empathy online, then I think some of this toxicity that we see online and some of the sort of un- safety issues that we see in a lot of these unregulated spaces that kids inhabit online, they might self-regulate a little bit and we might see some sort of, you know, organic, uh, you know, behavior change that, that might, you know, be really positive. Oh, the body image stuff that, especially for teens and all of that. So like, is there something that we can like these conversations about like, what if you're not in the same, you know, what about empathy? Like, how do we start to prep for that? Cause it's going to happen. They're going to be on Instagram. They're going to see this stuff. They're going to get all of these messaging. They're all going to get the messaging. Um, and hopefully less and less these days. I don't know if it's lessening, but they all seem so much more body positive than like I've ever seen. <laughs> like I have these like house full, you know, house full of, 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 you know, 17, 16, 17 year olds and they're all shapes and sizes, but they're all still wearing like, you know, short shorts and it doesn't matter. And I, and I'm like, I love it. You know, I love it. But also is there a way to prepare our children to be to the, that onslaught? I, I see what you're saying in some ways. I'm, I'm in Portland, Oregon, and I, I think there's just a lot of I see a lot of shifting in um, how women are kind of being towards each other regarding body shape and size and, and kind of just the messaging put out there. And at the same time, it's like the research is showing girls are really anxious. And, and so it's kind of trying to reconcile these things. And, and it's not just the, there's the body image and, com, you know, the comparison issue that comes up quite a bit um, and not just with body, I think, but what people are doing, what opportunities people have, you know, you rarely knew 
and it's almost like crosses the line into bragging, right? It was like used to be like it was like a no no, you know, like you don't want to be too braggy about what you're doing, and you know. But now it's it's kind of with social media, it's become very acceptable to just you know, sh- you know, we show off or brag, but it creates the sense of oh, I'm not doing that right now. I'm not. Um, I don't have those same opportunities. I'm not having any fun. And it's one thing for adults, which we have a hard time with anyway. But if you imagine a, a teenager who's still going through that development, it's it hits them even extra hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that aspect. I think girls can be really, um, you know, a little bit fear, like I'm I'm missing out on something. I'm comparing myself to you. I think also the bullying there kind of the, you know, how we, you know, different creative ways that we can be mean to each other can, um, can be pretty, pretty overwhelming in those formats too. And some of that comes across in like body shaming and, you know, making fun of someone's appearance. Um, Again, with that, you know, feeling like you're removed from it, like it's easier to say these really nasty things to one another, but it's so hurtful. Um, at the same time, so I think there are a lot of lot of factors at work there going on at the same time. Just to add, I, I think one of the things that we can do to address that is, as parents, we know this is the modern adolescent experience. Now we know that FOMO and fear of missing out and social comparison, watching these people live these fabulous lives on Instagram or seeing these really you know, perfect photos or beautiful people online, which by the way, is not new, right? Like we dealt with this, we've dealt with this before the internet. It's just supercharged now and it's on a 24 hour cycle. So instead of seeing, you know, a perfect looking model on a magazine, when you went to the store, it's all the time on your phone. And so one thing that we can do is start preparing kids for that eventuality and letting them know that, look, you know, you people are showing you what they want you to see on social media, right? And that is not a reflection on you or your life and should not be the goal, the goal that any of us have to be living these, you know, fabulous lifestyles online, or, you know, it's like a beer commercial, right? Like, it's right. Not, that's not real life, right? right. But if we don't say something, then kids are going, especially young kids, are going to see this and think, well, that's how I'm supposed to be living, or that's how I'm supposed to be looking, or that's how things are supposed to be, because no one's telling me different. And all the content I'm consuming is delivering that message like in stereo. So the opportunity parents have to get out in front of that before their kids ever get online is so massive so that when they get there and they start seeing these things, they go, Oh, well, but I know that this is curated. I know that this is not consistent with real life. I know this is not a reflection on me. And, you know, it's about building resilience, right? We want our kids to be resilient. So when they face challenges, they learn from them and move forward in a, in a more empowered way. Well, that applies to their online experiences too. And, and we have a crystal ball. We know what kid, young kids are going to be experiencing when they start getting online mm-hmm. and we can prepare them for that. We just, we just need to do it and have a path forward, which is really why we, you know, a, a corollary for why we created the course in the first place. Can we just unplug it? 
I, I, honestly, it probably wasn't, the internet wasn't built for kids or adults probably. So that's a pretty good idea. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I love that. Like we can have this conversation, right? Like the internet affords us the ability to do this, but like, oh my God, it's just like <laughs> so much. I know. Oh, it's making me anxious. You were talking about earlier, Adrian, like that there are other options for children. Like, because, you know, we, I think, I remember when my son was, I don't know, maybe like 11 or 12, like before he got a phone. And there were times when he was at school and I was like, God damn it, if he had a phone, this would just be so much easier because I could text him and tell him that I'm going to be late or that he needs to go here or that I'll meet him at the park or like whatever. Right. And I, and I can't do that. And I know that there are some options of, you know, besides like a good old fashioned flip phone, right? There are some options. I know my, um, my, my ex's other son, it's, it's complicated. It's a long story, has one of these phones. He's 11. And so we can call him, we can text him and he can email, but like, that's it. Do you ever know what these are called? Do you have yeah. like, yeah. Well, Adam, Adam can probably, I'll, I'll, introduce this and then Adam can jump on because he'll he probably has the more specific information but um but I know I was researching this group that uh it's this contingent of parents that are kind of pledging together to wait until after their kids are done with middle school to get give them smartphones because there are a lot of research supporting that you know waiting until that time frame can be um can kind of reduce some of the harmful effects. And so they were looking at, you know, I was saying, you know, one of the reasons why parents don't wait is that, well, there's a lot of social pressure as far as the, you know, so-and-so already has a phone and it's kind of like that, you know, domino effect of like, you know, no one wants to be left out. Um, So their idea is the more that parents can talk, can discuss these things together and be on the same page in you know smaller communities that it helps to um like feel like you have like there's power in numbers right um and then and then they're also just not aware that there are other you know they're worried about keeping in touch with their kids um it's funny my daughter likes to hear stories at night and so so i'm telling her the story about this person who was lost and they had to go use a pay phone and she was very interested in what this thing was (laughs) and how (laughs) How you would put a quarter inside and you could use the phone. And so I, you know, it was a great way of introducing these uh, different you had these to push old... actual buttons to, <laughs> to dial it. Oh my God. Um, but I don't think parents are always aware that they don't have, it doesn't have to be all or nothing, like either the smartphone or nothing. And so Adam, I'll hand it off to you because you have better information on this. Yeah, I mean, Kate, it's really sort of what you described. It's these, for lack of a better word, instead of a smartphone, it's a dumb phone. So it does, it's, (laughs) you know, they don't need to get on the internet because parents, you know, especially with, you know, making sure their kids are safe at school or if there's an active shooter situation, they want to be able to communicate with their kids. Absolutely, totally, 100%, you know, and there's a lot of pushback to this, oh, kids can't banning phones on on high school and middle school campuses and all these different things and the usually the argument is i need my kid to be safe i need to reach them totally understandable so i think the, the balance is kind of what you described they can have a smartwatch they can have a, a 
a smartwatch, a, a dumb watch, yeah. but not as dumb as <laughs> not as dumb as the watches we grew up with, but right. um, <laughs> not as dumb as a Mickey these, Mouse watch. But that's close. Right. It's not a swatch. It's, it's not, not a swatch, swatch. but it's close. <laughs> it's close. And so you know these devices like Gab, G A B B, makes a makes a smart a, a phone for these types of circumstances, or mm-hmm. Bark, which is a Mm. parental monitoring software they're coming out with a, a device as well okay. that really balance this need for us to be you know i mean we live in the age of hyper connectivity so you want to be connected to your kids in case of you know for for convenience sake and also for safety sake without exposing them to the dangers of of you know the internet and so and social media and so i think that's what the these devices accomplish that mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. i think that's a great and it's just a great opportunity to sort of explain why your their kids are getting this and not just a full-fledged like iPhone 14, you know, it's like you can get this because this is all you need in this moment, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that we even have to think about like, oh, I want my kid needs a phone at school because of an act because of active shooters. Like uh, that, yeah. the fact that that's the world we're living in, it just, I just, now I want to go and unplug everything and go live on an island somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go off the grid and live in Canada. God, yeah. it's so, if it wasn't so cold. Um, um, oh my goodness. All right. You guys, is there anything else that you want people to know about this, about this course? I just think, I mean, it's, it's, you said it's like an hour and a half, two hours. Like it is not, it's a lot of information, but it's not overwhelming. It's not going to take you forever to get through it. It's affordable just do yeah, it. it. Yeah. And it's, and it's not, you know, it's something we created something that's that, that people aren't in, it's not in demand, right? Because people aren't usually thinking about this stuff until their kids are older. And we really want to change the way people parent by doing this earlier. And so I would just say it's, you know, it's, it's very, it's all about taking what parents are already doing and making it applicable to their kids' online lives or the lives that they'll be leading when they're older, rather than creating a whole, it's not a whole new, you know, encyclopedia of how to parent. It's just, hey, you're already having conversations about, like, you know, you can't watch that channel, right? (laughs) Like, it's not, it's for adults, right? Right. You just need to expand that to what they're encountering on the internet, so that even if we're not there, they're making the right decisions. So that's, and we use a lot of examples, and it's all, you know, because Adrian's such a, a, a great therapist, it's all, you know, sort of designed to ensure that it really strengthens our relationships with our kids and creates mm-hmm. that space for them to come to us. Because so often the research tells us that when kids encounter challenges online or upsetting things or abuse online, they don't tell their parents. Yep. And the number one the number one reason is they're afraid that they're going to get their device or their privileges taken away from them because apps and devices are so addictive that they are choosing to suffer as opposed to seeking out their Uh parents, which they've always done. And so, um, and and there's ways we can anticipate that and ensure that our kids do come to us in those moments. And that's what we want parents to know is don't wait until they're, you know, 19 or 18 or 17, you know, start talking to them in first grade, you know, about these things so that when they get there, we can worry less. Um, and ensure that they're more empowered uh, to navigate a world that was not built for them, but where they're being told, this is where you grow up now. And I got to say, as the mother, as I said, as the mother of a 17-year-old, I wish I had had, um, 
you know, information like this because he's 17, right? So when he was six, seven, eight, like the, like it was so new, it was, you know, like we, we didn't realize how bad and all the things that were going to happen. So as the mother of a 17 year old, I am saying to all of you (laughs) who have children, kindergarten through fifth grade, like seriously do this because it's, it's serious. My son is, he's on his phone all the time. And I, you know, and that we talk about it and we have conversations about it and then he'll do something he'll realize because, you know, with a 17 year old, if it's not his idea or, you know, (laughs) it's not going to stick. Right. But then he'll sort of take a day where he'll not be on his phone and things will be much better. And I'll say like, Hey, wasn't that great? And he's like, Oh, you know, (laughs) but you know, it's just, it is, it's harder at this age. It is harder. Like the ship has sailed. So please guys, everybody, (laughs) everybody go to the tech savvy parent.com and get Adrian and Adam's course because it's so necessary. It's so important really. Thank you guys for doing this. Thank you for creating it. Thank you for, for coming on and talking about it. I really, I just think it's, I I do think it's so important. So important. Thanks for having us. us. Anytime, anytime. All right, guys, thank you so much. So where can people find you? The tech savvy parent.com. Or on Instagram at the tech savvy parent. Awesome. Great. Where we are there too. Yay. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.